the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. A reminder, ladies and gentlemen, that starting July 11th, from 9 p.m. to midnight central time, will be part of the GSN radio network, will be syndicated to radio stations in many cities in the USA, but we will also be available online, just as we are now, from thepowercast.com. The only difference being that we'll start a little bit later in the evening. So please stay awake for us, actually. It's only going to be an hour later, so stay awake for us. Greg Bishop is our co-host. A little bit later, we'll be welcoming Walter Bosley back on. But right now, for those who haven't spent much time as we have with Greg, I want him to put his cards on the table. So, for example, a few weeks back, Paul Kimball says, even though he is very interested in a lot of the other theories about UFOs, he tends to be an ETH kind of guy. Greg, what kind of guy are you? I tend to fight it. Well, okay. I mean, I mean, I tend to fight my ETH proclivities because that's been the way I've been, like most people, for most of the time I've been interested in the subject. But um, after a while, you realize that nobody's found anything that's really provable about anything coming from other planets. So I'm probably less of an ETHer than Paul is. I suppose it might be the best explanation, but I I seriously doubt whether it's the right one or the whole right one. So, for example, maybe there's ETH, but maybe one of these other explanations, such as interdimensional time travelers or crypto terrestrials, perhaps. Yeah, well, I don't. I'm exceedingly agnostic. Uh, I don't really subscribe to any one or the other. The ETH just gets the most uh, exposure because that's what's been pushed on us for, wow, since probably the even before the 20th century, actually. But of course, you know, in the in the space age and in post World War II, yeah, that's been the only explanation anybody will really consider. So, you know, my natural inclination is if there's a whole bunch of people doing something and believing something, it makes me very suspicious. So that's I'm, I'm sure that's part of it too. So in your case, then, it's partly that you're a skeptic of people who tend to accept a conventional wisdom. Well, I guess. No, I'm, 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 a, I'm skeptical of I'm skeptical of belief systems because once you get locked into a belief system, um, your, your, your options tend to shut down. And when you're talking about something as weird as the UFO subject and as amorphous and as you know, unanswered, so far, I, I think if you lock yourself into a belief system, you're already behind. That's my belief anyway. Um, and then people get uh, irritated with the fence sitting and the, all that. It's like, well, what else are you going to do? As soon as you put yourself in a camp you're, and, and say, this is my belief, you're going to have to start supporting it. And with UFOs and the paranormal and a lot of things like uh, that we talk about on this show, you can't really. There's there's no iron ironclad open and shut case for any of these things. That, that 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 they exist. I think there is a pretty pretty solid case that there's something weird going on, and that there is something that's not human that interacts with us occasionally. I think the case is fairly solid for that. But past that, I don't know. You don't want to be in a box. Well, yeah, because it'll close off my options. It closes off my options for for learning and for listening and for. Um, meeting people, it might have a different, um, you know, point of view. I've got firm beliefs in other areas, you know, like uh, moral things and all that. But not, you know, UFOs. No, I mean, it, why tie yourself down? I think one of the things is that believing in ETH was simple. 
We know there are other planets. We know there are other star systems. So to posit some kind of advanced civilization, it just seems to make sense because they can't possibly come from here, right? And then nowadays, of course, with our various probes, Hubble telescope, etc., we see evidence that there are possible Earth-like planets on other star systems. We say, hey, okay, so if their civilization has advanced to the right point, they're coming here because we are important enough for space travelers to want to find out what we're like. Maybe. I mean, I don't. I think we're probably just as important as any other group of sentient beings. And if there are intelligences coming here, I don't think they're coming here in nuts and bolts craft traveling across space like we take a train or an airplane somewhere. I think they've gone beyond that and that those things are just ways that we, you know, the, the, the fact that there's physical traces and all that, Maybe they've learned to, you know, handle matter in a different way than we do or have a different concept of it. I don't know. Um, but I don't think it's physical people coming in here and craft from other, other, other planets because it's just, according to our current ideas about things, it's just, it would just take too damn long. So it must be in the realm of something that we haven't thought of yet or are just beginning to think of. And we can go into that too, but that, that, that's a whole other subject. So. Very briefly, you don't think UFO research has gone anywhere because the prevailing belief is the same one that was here 60 years ago. No, I don't. I think it's gone uh, forward in certain areas, but the but the belief system has hasn't changed. No, and there's no real evidence for it except for our our beliefs and our hopes and our expectations. I think. Um, yeah, it might be a logical conclusion, but it's a logical conclusion based on our civilization and our way of thinking and our view of the universe and our view of physics at present. And that's going to change. It, it, there's no doubt that it's going to change because it's changed in the past. Very much a moving target. Now, yeah. just a few weeks ago, your friend and sometimes co-host, Walter Bosley, appeared on the Powercast and I think we maybe scratched the surface just barely in asking him questions about the things he knows, the things he's experienced. So we've invited him back on. You'll hear him next on... The Bearcast. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Hey, neighbors, have you been thinking about starting a website? Well, I'm going to tell you about a great offer from HostGator. HostGator is a world-famous leader in web hosting, and they make it easy for you to get your own .com domain name. You create your very own website with their free site builder tools and great selection of templates. Use the coupon code POWERCAST. Once again, use the coupon code POWERCAST and sign up at this special address, thepowercast.com slash gator. That's G-A-T-O-R, thepowercast.com slash gator. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. We are joined by Walter Bosley, former government agent, and he is not here, by the way, to find out what's happening with the Paracast with me and Greg. 
Where are you? Uh, no, no, no. That's not why I'm here. Okay. You're this here time. to answer questions. Right. Okay. Well, and discuss things, interesting things. Sure. Well, you know, you made a brief, something more than a cameo appearance in our forums. After your last appearance, yeah. in depth, people ask questions. And sometimes the people in the forums, as you and I know, those of us who have been online for many, many years, realize that sometimes people who visit you in the forums kind of feel they have the right to know everything. So what is your story about that? Well, you know, regarding the forums, I, I will start and say that, you know, I come out here and I tell you who I am. And um, those who go in there and they don't, you know, provide a real name, they just kind of make all their comments behind a screen name. You know, I kind of have to remind myself to really just dismiss those people and their comments because, uh, you know, there's really nothing else you can do. If, if they won't tell you who they are, then uh, their their comments, you know, mean little. So basically, um, they won't tell you who they are, but they want to know everything about you. They want to see that you really work for the FBI. They want to have all the papers from your government service. They want to see your Social Security card and your birth certificate. Well, we want that from <laughs> Obama, right? Yeah, exactly. But and, and I'm just referring to those who don't identify themselves. I mean, there's guys out there that, you know, they're, they're in the various forms and their name is right there. You know, they tell you who they are. And, and that, you know, to me, that's step one if you're going to be um, publicly critical um, or uh, discerning or questioning or whatever you want to call it to whatever degree it is. You know, it's like, you know, my name, I want to know yours. You know, um, it, to me, it's that's the fair uh, the fair thing. So, you know, anyone whose identity I don't really know, um, or at least whose name I don't know, I, you know, I have to remind myself to dismiss um, any arguments they make, um, you know, and, and go from there. I, you know what? I'm a little bit different, Walter, and I don't totally agree. The thing is that if you've put yourself in a public forum, you have to be public. I wrestled with this, too, very early on with uh, UFO Mystic. And now with the Paracast Forum and a few others, it's kind of you, if you're going to be public and you're going to present your ideas, yeah, it's the onus is on you to kind of tab your name out there. If somebody's going to ask you questions, civilized in a civilized way, in a no, in a nice logical way, I don't really care whether they're anonymous or not. But once they start getting nasty, either they be, they should be not anonymous or they should shut up. Well, there you go. We 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 actually agree because the way you qualified it, um, I will add one thing. Yeah, I put myself out there. You put yourself out there. Various people do to discuss things. But uh, on the other hand, uh, if somebody's going to go into a forum, which is also just as public, um, then I think uh, you know. Again, yeah, if if they're going to get to a certain level of uh, critical, then they should identify themselves because you know, hey, that's just as public. I'll put up with a lot from people as long as they're being as long as they're being civilized and logical. I don't really care right. who they are, but if they start right, turning right. into dicks, I either shut it down or say, you know, then I pull the, you know, it's very easy for you to be the way you are because you're anonymous. So that's this is the end of the conversation. That's what I usually do. Yeah, it's it's and and as I've said, I, I'm I am not one of these guys who 
fell in love with logic when I was in, you know, high school. And it's just the thing that turns me on. And I mean, we know these people. You can't have a human conversation with these kind of people. The logic lovers, um, you just can't because you could be talking about pizza and they're analyzing how you said what you said and what that meant according to the academic rules of logic. And it just, wow, what a interesting, boring way to go through life. Um, well, there's another thing, too. I mean, it's, it's an attitude, too, uh, on one of the on a show like this one is I don't know. You know, my attitude on my show is I'm going to let the person say what they want to. If I don't agree with them, that's fine. If I if I and I can prod them a little bit to make sure that they've got their story straight and that, that even the, and the audience realizes that I'm not buying it, I suppose. Yeah. However, I'm, I'm, you know, I will let people say what they want to say. If there's going to be a, if there's going to be some kind of pitch or some kind of, you know, you got to give me money for this, for this idea, or I'm coming from a position of authority. So buy my book or whatever. Then I start to get a little, a little suspicious. Sure. Yeah. And, and rightly so, because, you know, they're, they're trying to push something on people. They're trying to sell something specific to what they're talking about. You know, so, so you should be, you know, a little bit more, but, um, and, and again, folks, we're talking about the hypercritical. Okay. We're talking about those who, no matter what you say, it's never going to be enough. Um, my question is, you know, the question that comes to my mind is the, why are you here? Are you really interested in these subjects? And is there anything about these, these, the topic of the paranormal in general? And I throw in UFOs there that um you do buy into that that you do think is is possible as such because it's kind of like if you hate soccer but you keep going to soccer games you know after a while you got to someone you got to ask yourself okay what am i doing here i hate this sport i hate this game I, why do i keep coming it, you know that that's something that that you know comes to my mind when I encounter the hypercritical, the unreasonable. Okay, now there's another thing, too, here. Yeah. Say you're one guy, one gal, or a few people, and you see something strange. And I have yeah. an editorial about this in the current issue of the Paracast newsletter. So if you go to theparacast.com, there's a place where you can subscribe to the newsletter, and you get my commentary. So I don't always do commentaries on the show. I write up a commentary every single week. And one okay. of the things I pointed out is the fact that, you know, when you have a paranormal experience of whatever kind, it's very difficult to prove it unless you have the camera handy right. and take a picture and people will look at it and say the picture is a fake. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so because you could Photoshop anything nowadays and of course. create fake pictures. And a lot of times if you see something, you're so nervous when yeah. you see it that you don't have the time to focus the camera and press the zoom button and, and get a good picture. It's lucky you get something in the camera. Okay, so that's one thing. And then, well, if it doesn't leave any other evidence, like a UFO may land and leave trace evidence, but usually you see something in the sky. Have you seen an apparition? Well, folks, it's not something that you could just repeat. It's there. It may never come back. So how do you prove it? What's the next stage? Do you try the lie detector test? You know, you know, is that going to help? Maybe we'll have a lie detector test. So therefore, we'll have to see whether we could try with a lie detector test. And oh, wait, there's a problem with lie detector tests. They're not always reliable. Sometimes people can right. beat the test. Without saying things I really shouldn't in a public forum, best <laughs> experience with um, I'll just say this, folks. There is no such thing and never has been such thing as a true lie detector. That's impossible. 
And I'll leave it at that because you bring up a very good point. The polygraph, um, there's a reason why polygraph uh, results are not submitted in a court of law. They've been around for decades, and that's because there are issues with its, you know, but it, but it serves a true and valid purpose in uh, investigative um, issues, criminal investigative issues, and uh, I'm all for the use of them. But its its effectiveness is not where people think it is. Okay, so since you raised the question, where is the effectiveness? That's the psychological factor where somebody says, gee, I better tell the truth because it's a lie detector? I'm not saying. You know, I mean, I was a... <laughs> I'm not going to... I'm not like the TV shows that want to show all the secrets that, you know, law enforcement uses because some things, you know, um, some things they, they work best if the general public doesn't know them. And so, you know, I ain't talking. <laughs> Because you're not supposed to and because you don't feel like it. It wouldn't be ethical of me. Okay. I just wanted a reason. I think it might have something to do, actually, with the techniques that are used when you have a lie detector there, the kind of questions that are asked and uh, uh, the kind of people that are there and the kind of people that are you know, in the situation in which it is applied. Well, we're not asking you the secrets of the trade. We're just more or less talking about why they'd be effective. That's it, one of the secrets of the trade. <laughs> it's why it's effective. That's we are awesome. in a big circle here. Anybody listening could probably look up some of these answers online and get get some of the probably answers. So, probably so. And as I've said on your show and others, a guy in my position, there's things I cannot say that you know you can you can find in open sources. But if I say it, I feel the flame on my backside. So. Uh, like Daniel Sheehan, the lawyer, once said that things that you can find in open sources are sometimes more frightening and surprising than most people would expect. Oh, I definitely can agree with that. I definitely can agree with that. You just have to look. You know, Walter knows this, and Gene knows this, and probably most of the listeners and some of the guests know this, is that once you start digging and looking around and going to libraries, not just on the Internet, but going to libraries and talking to people, you start finding that, Right. You're not so amazed by what people found out in their last book and reported to you or whatever. Right. And, uh, well, you know, since we're on the issue of uh, investigative techniques and the paranormal, here, here's what I have discovered and I am discovering is that these investigative techniques that we want to apply to these phenomena, I, I'm learning, are just not, they're not measuring up. Because we're dealing with something that I think is sentient. It, it, it's aware. It, you know, this is an, an aware being entity. And um, it has the advantage of being able to manifest extraordinary ways. And now, are you thinking basically here of the overall phenomenon being an entity or each individual experience in terms of seeing creatures or whatever? It, de it depends on the experience. One experience to the other is, is different. There's a UFO experience. There's seeing a ghost. There's seeing, uh, you know, a Bigfoot. There's, you know, some of the encounters I've had. Um, in, in my particular case, my, my experiences, you know, I, I think that, you know, you're dealing with, uh, you know, something sentient. So what it knows how to do is evade investigative measurement. I mean, how perfect, how perfect to take a guy like me who's been a federal criminal investigator in counterintelligence and manifest itself in a way that I can neither capture evidence that, to convince, that would really convince people or, or even, you know, any evidence, you know, be able to prove it 
you know, even in a discussion. I think it's more like measuring wind without a wind meter. You just don't have the, the uh, you either don't have the tool or the tool has not been invented yet that will measure these things or or be there when something is, is, is going to happen or whatever. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just designed not to be examined with the tools that we have. A, a lot of these paranormal things. Ghost hunting, maybe a little bit more. You've got some chance there. But once again, you can't predict it. You can't reproduce it. It's basically you have to be there when it happens. What I'm arguing is that the minute you designed the meter that can measure it, guess what? It's yeah. going to manifest itself in the way that none of the, the meters will measure it. and that's I, I would tend to about. think that, that that's probably the, what would happen, yeah. I, I, I used to not think things like this. I used to think, no, 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 come on, there, there's got to be a, with technology and science, by golly, there, it can be measured. And the more experiences I've had, <laughs> the more I've changed that position. Well, and maybe it's like this quantum mechanics kind of thing that if you measure it or see it, that in and of itself changes it? Yeah, very much so. It it, it might it, exactly. For instance, I see something on the side of a mountain. I take a photograph of it, okay, and then when you're looking at the photograph, it just doesn't look the same. Um, or Or you show it to someone else and they're saying, I don't see it, I don't see it. You know, so so maybe you outline it. You show them a photograph untouched, then you show them, you know, the one with the outline. And then the filter of their prejudice comes in. And very often you hear things like, well, I don't see that. And, and so then where are you left? You know, what do you do? There's and there's never a shortage of people that will say, well, you imagined it or, well, this is like this um uh, psychological, um, what's the word for it? I don't want to say disorder. I don't want to say neurosis or anything. It's it's phenomenon. Um, yeah, a psychological phenomenon. And, and, and when you look closely at the definition of those psychological phenomena that supposedly explain these experiences, really, when you really get down to it, what you're seeing is as someone a psycho, uh, someone in the the, prof the profession of psychiatry has taken something and just. Uh, given it labels, essentially. Um, not in all cases do you find things where they were able to duplicate this in the laboratory. They just, um, they're really making an assumption that, um, oh, okay, well, this experience must be this, and we're going to label it as such. Well, now that we've got a nice, neat and tidy label, everybody can dismiss this experience because psychology has given it a label. And there's a lot of people. We live, we live in the times and we live in a society, a civilization right now where the specialist is king. I mean, you got somebody with a pedigree after their name and, you know, they can use their logic to prove the earth is square because they're PhD, XYZ, blah, blah, blah. And we got a lot of people who they accept that. They say, well, okay, this is, this is the guy. He's the expert. I think that there's error in going too far in that direction. Picture this. You're on the phone with a client or colleague trying to explain something visual, a PowerPoint, a keynote presentation, a website. But it's frustrating because they can't see what you're talking about. 
The solution? Good news. They can if you invite them to an online meeting using GoToMeeting. Then they can see your computer desktop on their computer screen so you can show them what you're talking about. I use GoToMeeting all the time to collaborate with colleagues and with clients. You can try GoToMeeting free for 30 days, but you must visit GoToMeeting slash podcasts. That's GoToMeeting.com slash podcasts for free 30-day trial. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? We have Walter Bosley joining us. Our co-host is Greg Bishop, and we're talking, I guess, to start about investigative techniques, about belief systems, what you should believe, what maybe you shouldn't, and about the value, I guess, also of eyewitness testimony, because we've talked about the fact that Walter has had experiences, and then sometimes people will be skeptical, and we're not asking you to believe everything that a person claims they experience, but you get back to the core statement of the core reality, which is you have to depend on someone's word for many of these things, because otherwise... There's nothing to investigate because, what, 95, 98% of all the experiences that we report, paranormal experiences, it's all eyewitness testimony. You know what this reminds me of? Remember when Paul was on with us the other day, Walter, on my show? And he said when he was working, and he might have said this in the Paracast, they were working in England and two of the him and the co-host and maybe another person heard horses' hooves on a cobblestone street. There's no cobblestone street where they were doing their filming, mm-hmm. but they did not record it. The, the recorder was going at the same time, and mm-hmm. it did not show up on any of their recordings. Yet, both two independent people heard what they heard was yeah. um, cobblestone horses' hooves on cobblestone. It was they, Holly. Yeah, I believe it was Holly who was one. Yeah, of well, heard Paul it. heard it too, but then he had didn't admit it till later. But right. the, what this brings up is okay, you've got you've got two people that have independently verified something without talking to each other first, but your instrument, your recorder, not pick it up. So there where is go. it? Did it happen? You know, is that the right question? You know, <laughs> and there and there and I'm telling you, there are a lot of people out there that they're just going to say it didn't happen. This is ridiculous. If you couldn't record it. Than you were imagining it, it didn't happen. And, and that's it, the end of story for them. You know, and, and personally, as, an, as someone who is an experiencer of things, to use a word that I've heard, um, I, I really have, I, I'm not interested in trying to convince the naysayer that it, it's a waste of time, it's a waste of my energy. Um, it, it, they're just predisposed to think about something differently than me. I, I'm, I'm not interested. I'm just really not, uh, it, it, it's a waste of energy and time I have found to try to convince the naysayer. Well, the best you can do, I think, is just tell people what happened, the evidence that leads you to believe one thing or another, if there is any evidence, and then you're going to have to either take it or leave it based on the individual. If that individual does not have a reputation for making up stories, you kind of have to at least take them seriously. Otherwise, where do you go with it? Otherwise, yeah, you say everybody's a liar. What this reminded me of was the the uh, show the other day uh, with Paul Kimball on Radio Mysterioso. Walter was there. We were all there in person. And Paul was talking about ghost cases. When you talk about uh, instruments and measurements and all that, he and his co-host, Holly Stevens, both independently heard horse hooves on cobblestone at this old church where there are no cobblestones anymore or it's an old house or something like that. It's one of the reported phenomena. 
at that location. They'd heard it separately, didn't talk about it, and then Holly was talking to one of the um, crew people or the producer and um, how it freaked her out, and then Paul said, uh, I heard that too. And I don't think anybody else had heard it, and the recorder was going, apparently, at the time that these horse hooves were running around on the cobblestones outside. So what does that tell you? What does that mean? Your instrument didn't pick it up, so it was a hallucination. I think we got to change our language a little bit in some cases. Well, of course, there's a lot of things going on around us that we do not see, we do not hear. The reverse, because our senses are very limited. Yeah, but an instrument will pick it up. Well, if, it's the, inf- physical- if the instrument is physically sensitive to that, whatever it is. Yes, exactly. But yeah, but you know, we're, what are we dealing with when two people clearly hear a noise for a, uh, a certain period of time? It's not a you know, it's not something they thought they heard, not something they were mistaken about. But they swear they heard it, and then two of them independently, without talking to each other first, say they heard it. But nobody else did really, and it wasn't picked up on a recording. So what, where does that leave you? Does that mean that the the, the experience is is a hallucination or wrong or false? I, I don't think so. And I, I think probably Walter would agree with that. Oh, when you have two people who independently experience the same audio phenomenon, one of whom is, you know, is, is Paul. You know, he, he questions things and, you know, he's not somebody that's a pushover for stuff and, and he heard it too. You know, that right there is, uh, some pretty hefty evidence, so to speak, if we're going to call it that. So, you know, ex- exactly. What do you do with experiences like that? Um, you know, who, who's to say? That who, who can just write that off and dismiss it? Well, obviously, trying to figure out what's going on and to unearth what's going on is going to be one super royal pain. I think that's one of the things we understand. But I think that's kind of preamble, showing the difficulty of measuring the things that we see or hear, of the fact that you may see something or hear something that nobody else sees or you just one person you're one person you sit there you see a ghost you see the grays you're taken aboard a spaceship it's your memory of what happens mm-hmm. how do you prove it what do you do let's move more i think it would be a good idea now to go back walter into some of your experiences and your remembrances of your father, for example, because of some of the things he told you. And let's explore them with the understanding that, ladies and gentlemen, you know, I don't know how we can prove this to you. You know, we're going to have to accept that Walter does have government experience. Greg has certainly seen the papers and independently confirmed where he can that you are Walter Bosley, who you say you are. Now let's look at the experiences. Going back to your dad and Roswell. Mm-hmm. And as I recall here, you were given this knowledge over a period of years, not something he told you in one sitting. Hey, son, let me tell you about this, right? Right, exactly. Um, it started um, in the late 70s, talking about, uh, you know, this, this crash at uh, Roswell, New Mexico and um, continued on up into recent years and um, of course after i had been an agent for a while and i uh, was became a little more well versed in uh, interview techniques um, you know i knew how to talk to him about it to both measure um, his integrity to the degree that you know the investigative tools i have work and they are effective to a degree 
and also to, you know, kind of coax him to uh, tell me more. Um, and his story never, you know, his story about the bodies that were found never changed. His frustration that uh, the on the insistence that it was the extraterrestrial hypothesis um, that never changed. Um, and, uh, you, you know, it, it, it stayed consistent. Yes. I got a little bit more out of him in, in recent years, but always consistent with, uh, the whole story and, um, consistent with other things that I had, uh, learned, you know, about the uh, same situation through, through other means. And he, he said that these were not extraterrestrials. They were people from here, this planet. And, uh, you know, as I've written about it, if you want to go to the April 2005 issue of Fate magazine, um, the article is in there under my pseudonym because at the time, yeah, I had employment that was somewhat professionally sensitive. So I did not put that article in there under my name, Walter Bosley. It's under a fiction pseudonym, I guess. Um, since then, I have said, yeah, that's me. Yeah, that was my uh, dad. And um, according to him, you know, these people went underground um, a long time ago. There had been a cataclysmic event on the surface of the planet, and uh, a bunch of uh, people went underground, and, and several of them stayed there. Um, a, a big number of them stayed there and, you know, developed their own civilization as it were uh parallel yet hidden to our own and um according to him they really didn't want much to do with us at all um the, the only reason he had interaction with them was because in the late 50s a roswell situation happened again and um he was okay in the just let me just stop right there a roswell situation happened again where in eastern arizona okay where in eastern arizona specifically in the vicinity of winslow it sounds like the movie Starman. Well, Starman, the movie Starman sounds like this event that I heard about before Starman. Okay, tell us about the event then. Okay, um, a craft from underneath, according to my dad, out on the surface, crashes, and the pilot is missing, pilot, crew, whatever, are missing, and these people come to, uh, through whatever liaison they have, however they did it, they came to, you know, our people, our military, presumably the Air Force, because this is the late 50s, and uh, said, hey, we need some help finding our guy. So, again, according to my father, um, a effort, a mission was put together, uh, led by an interesting gentleman known as Wilson, um, who who headed up the search and rescue, so to speak, plus the interaction with the people um, under the ground, according to my dad. And um, that's why he had to be briefed in on Roswell, because he was, because of his clearance and what he did, um, he was one of many who um, was part of this effort and uh, had to be briefed in on Roswell because it was pretty much a very similar, if not same, situation. And uh, from there, he went to Arizona and worked in this effort to find this guy and uh, this missing individual um, from the crashed craft and be involved with the interaction. Um, and he saw the underground and he encountered these people underneath there, according to him. And I have reason to think that uh, he 
sincerely believed he was telling me the truth. Um, he used to break down emotionally when he got to the point of the story where the guy he was working with was uh, killed by one of these people. So, you know, that's just one indicator. Well, certainly it's, he wouldn't just make it up just for the sake of his son. Did he know at the time that you were interested in the subject? Well, what happened was it, it started because, it, see, I grew up, my sisters and I, we grew up with uh, our dad's interest in, in this UFO topic. I, I mean, you, you, you remember the old Look magazine and Life magazine articles during the 60s, that, you know, the late 50s, early 60s, going through the 60s that uh, a lot of people have now as collector's items. I mean, we, we still have these things. And these were all, always around the house. This was the late 60s, and, you know, we'd look at them, and, you know, my dad would, was enthused about this when the subject came up. And uh, in the late 70s, um, I remember it was there, were, there had been a TV show on, and it was right before Close Encounters came out before Close Encounters came out. And um, this is when he first started talking about this. And, uh, you know, some people say, well, Starman, you know, well, Close Encounters. I find it interesting that, you know, he insisted that these were not extraterrestrials. Um, if he were just, you know, jumping on something to impress the kiddies, um, you know, why not say, well, yep, absolutely, these ETs are real. No, no, he, um, he, he was. It used to amuse him and frustrate him both. Two things: that the the insistence that it was ET, excuse me, the the assumption, the presumption, which many of us now like to call the ET religion, um, and the fact that uh, it was being kept secret because you know it would freak people out, and and uh, you know he he always said. This is something they want nothing to do with us. This is something that, you know, think about your daily life. If there's a civilization inside, you know, underneath the surface of the planet, if there is in subterranea, how does that change most people's daily existence? It really does not. Um, well, maybe the perception that there's well, sure. another intelligent race here can sure. have catastrophic impact on certain people who like to think they're in control of things. Well, yeah, but you know, then you're getting into people who like to think they're in control of things, or have a or is it more the people who have a driving need to feel in control of things? Yeah, see, you're always yeah, exactly. You're always going to have people that are going to be bothered by something. You know, um, you could you could say that there are people there that are plenty bothered by some of us having the experiences we talk about. You know, um, so there's an example, you know, possibly of what you're talking about. That's like, hey, wait a minute. If I'm not having it, it's not real. Or if I'm how come you're having it and not me or, um, you know, any any number of things. But uh, his thing was that it they were not extraterrestrials. He felt. OK, that. but let's look at this in more detail. OK, the uh -huh. describe the creature. Does that creature pass for human? He walks among us. You see him at the local Dunkin Donuts. Yeah, Did you it, just it, pass him by. Oh, okay. Yeah, his, his description was they were just like us, but with less body hair. You know, little, little to no body hair was the the description. You know, he gave me. Okay, but therefore bald headed. Yeah. Okay. And as far as limbs, fingers, anything else, looks normal. Eyes, lips, look, mouth. Look, yeah, look normal. He just said little to no body hair. Okay, looks like us. All right. Now, 
did he learn anything more about our interaction with these beings? Well, when he, when he was part of the project, um, he was underground. He, he was part of the, they, they were all part of the, the overall search effort, but then they were, you know, they were interacting because they were underground and these people were there and, um, he didn't give me the details of this little, what specifically they were doing that day that the man got killed, just that they were underneath the ground and it had to do with, there was some, what's interesting is there was some technology, um, exchange going on and it was from us to them. There was some small little aircraft that we had designed and we were training them in using it. It could be, it could be used underground according to him. Okay. Okay. Wait a minute here. So it's not the aliens or the crypto terrestrials in this case having greater technology than us. It's us giving them technology. No, Gene, um, they did have the tech, they did have technology with their flying machines, but all I can tell you is what my dad told me, okay? Sure. Well, that's what I want to understand. And, and what he told me was there was a flying machine that we were also going to share with them. Now, you know, I, I can't explain the politics or the where's or why's of if they have these, you know, their flying machines, you know, why they would want or need one of ours. Um, I, I can actually, as an Air Force guy, I can tell you exactly why. Uh, you know, we got our own airplanes, but golly, we don't miss a chance to get someone else's if we can. I mean, come on, you know, that's done in the real world all the time. So to me, that's not a big aha, you know, against the story in any way. It's just part of the story. And and he was part of the the training program that that went on with these things our guys were using these things too to fly around down there but he happened to tell me also that we were also giving giving some of them to them so you know maybe they just wanted to try out our stuff and i don't know what's the implication you could get out of that that uh maybe we got one of theirs and tried out one of theirs too i mean there there's stories about that um you know that that's this is the story he told and um when he, they encountered uh, these people, he and two guys he was with, they encountered a couple of these people. He described um, this item like a he described it as a tube that all they did was raise it and point it at the guy he, my dad was with. And the next thing he knew, that guy he was with, it was like he was a machine that just shut off. Somebody just turned the switch off and, he, you know, dead before he dropped the hit the ground. And, um, this really, this really, um, this is the part of the story that would, you know, get him kind of, you know, emotional, upset was describing this guy just shutting off. And he, he said that their, their sense of sight wasn't as good as, you know, the, the hearing and, and other senses, which when you think about it, if they're in a subterranean world and, and such, you know, we, we know there's animals like bats and stuff that, uh, yes, but wouldn't they be more sensitive because it's darker? I, I it, you know what? I, I don't know, Gene. I mean, but sure. he, wait, I, I didn't say that they couldn't see. I said that their other senses that's what he told me, is that their other senses were stronger and more developed than their sight. Fate Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. 
To receive your free issue of Fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. We have Walter Bosley, former government agent, talking about the remembrances of his dad, who met this subterranean race. Greg Bishop's our co-host, and we're exploring these details, trying to get more information out of it. Now, you talked to your dad pretty much very late in his life when you got all this information, right? Not all of it, um, the, the, you know, portion of it, yeah, before he died. Right. Most of it before... Uh before he died, years before. Okay. And the question I guess we always look for is corroboration. So <laughs> he tells you the story, which is different, as you might imagine, from other people who claim to have knowledge about Roswell and other incidents. Is there anything out there that we can find that someone had a similar experience anywhere? I don't know. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I mean, if, if anyone else has... Um, I haven't really heard anyone talk about an experience quite like what my dad, you know, said he had. Now you got to remember me personally. Um, and I've said this before. I lean towards Joseph Farrell's theory, and I take a, a lot of crap from that by the the ET, you know, religion true believers and the the people that just anything but the the Nazis. You know, there's people like that. You know, um, but I I'm sorry. I think Joseph Farrell makes one hell of a uh, good argument and presents it well, and uh, it makes a lot of sense to me. You know, for uh, those who haven't heard that argument, and we do plan to have Joseph Farrell on the Paracast sometime in the near future. What? fundamentally basically is his theory here joseph uh, proposes that uh, the roswell incident had to do with um world war ii era post-world war ii era nazi technology that uh either was um, you know the surviving nazi organization whatever that was itself flying this thing over roswell or uh possibly you know us with our German engineers that we had captured from Germany, um, developing and, and attempting to use some of this technology ourselves, but that it was indeed, um, very much, uh, technology that, uh, started right here on earth with our own human engineers and scientists. And, uh, he presents, uh, you know, he points to it. He presents a very good argument. You know, most of the people I, most of the people, not all, but most of the people I know that just vehemently, uh, oppose it, it comes down to, well, there's no way because everybody knows they weren't developing, you know, technology like that in World War II. Uh, okay, when you get into the everybody knows argument, you've lost me. Um, but 
I, I just and a lot of people who oppose Joseph's theory have never read Joseph's books. So I would just say check them out. I'm reading it right now, uh, Roswell on the Reich, and I'm still on the fence. I'm still waiting for him to make the case that really makes me go, "Oh my God, he's you know he's got a great case here." But I'm going to finish the book. How far are you in the book? Uh, probably about a third of the way. Oh yeah, no, no, no. There, there's more to come. You, I'll be surprised. Well, obviously, if there's, there's more and, and more arguments. No, but there's, there's really good, uh, solid stuff. But anyway, my point is, I lean towards that. Even with the story my dad told me, I lean towards Joseph's theory. Um, so I just want everybody clear on where I stand on this. But my dad's story and his belief in it was was so compelling to me. That, you know, I felt it's worth sharing. It's worth getting out there in, in the mix because the ET hypothesis just ain't answering the questions and hasn't been for a while. So we have to look, you know, in, in other ways at other directions. What do you do with that information then? I mean, what, what, what you've done with it, just kind of repeat it to people and take it under advisement? Share it and, and well, okay. Let, let me let me throw something out to you. As far as any kind of verifier, now, Greg, you remember this because you were present. Okay, um, uh, there was a gentleman that uh, I became acquainted with through Greg, uh, the legendary and infamous uh, Bill Moore. <laughs> I know there's booers and hissers out there right now, as I mentioned that name. Um, and we were talking one day at Dupar's, I believe, there at the farmer's market. And um, I had told Bill, this is when I first met him, Greg had told him a bit about me and my dad's story. So he agreed, yeah, let's you know get together for lunch. So I told him um, a bit of my dad, I told him my dad's story. And he asked me, he suggested that I ask my dad um, what the name of a particular individual was. Okay. Now, the point is that he asked me to ask what the name was. I'm not going to go into greater detail because I, I don't think I'm at liberty to do so without Bill here. Okay. So I'm not going to say the name. Sorry, folks, but that's not the point. The point is he said, ask your dad if this individual, you know, was on that plane. So, you see, what happened was my dad and the guys he was working with back in Alabama, they got on a plane at Gunner Air Force Base, and they were flying to Texas. They were supposed to be going, I think, to, to I don't know if it was Kelly or whatever, but one of the bases in Texas where the intel stuff is. And somewhere, you know, over Louisiana, the plane takes a northward banking turn, and an uh, intel officer comes out and tells them, guys, we're not going to uh, Texas, we're going to Ohio. And um, so... Anyway, I, you know, next time I got together with my dad, um, I know how to ask things. I'm a federal, former federal criminal investigator, so I know how to slip stuff in and do it in a way that it doesn't feed anything. And so, you know, the next time I was with my dad, a few days later, I, uh, you know, I did the old, uh, hey, because um, he had never told me the person's name, but I kind of fit it in there. It's like, hey, uh, you know, remember when, you know, when the, when you were on the plane and you were being told, you know, in Ohio, uh, what? What was that guy's name? You, you mentioned it, uh, and uh, he just rattled the name right off. The name and the rank. The same the one. The intelligence that, officer on the plane, you mean? Yes. And it was the same name that Bill, and I'd never heard the name before ever in the years my dad told the story and ever in my life. And I'll be damned if, you know, two days later, you know, I asked, I, I did it in a way that I acted like he had told me before, but he hadn't. And he just rattled it off, and it was the same name. That, that Bill had told me to ask him about. 
And I, you know, where I'm coming from, my perspective, that to me is something. Um, I, I don't know how Bill knew that name. Uh, you know, I don't know where it came from for him. But what I thought was interesting is my dad, who doesn't know, didn't know Bill Moore at all, never met him, didn't know who he was, um, you know, out pops that name. So that was that was one of the few anythings pieces of this that I could ever say. Well, you know, for those who, by golly, gotta have some type of verifier, I, I think at the moment, off the top of my head, that's the closest I can come to it. Um, for that verifier, meaning that your father sort of would have a clue as to what he was talking about. Did you ex- describe what this plane flight was and when it was? To whom? Uh, on the show just now. Oh, the, yeah, I, I thought I just did. It was my dad was they were going to Texas on uh, what they thought was, you know, one. Uh, 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 oh, uh, not a deployment, but uh, TDY, you know, a, a TDY to another base. And uh, yes, I did describe it where then instead of going to Texas, they went to Ohio. Yes. But were, when was this flight? What date? This was in the late 50s. I'd have to look at his DD-214 to to it, I think 1957. Okay, what is that? DD-215, is it? DD-214. Or DD-214 is what? Is a standard discharge paper that gives you the basics that says, yeah, you were in the service from these dates to that dates, and it would tell me the date he got out. It was a year. It was about a year before he got out. It was in the year before he got out, and I believe he got out in 58, and this happened in 57. And um, so it was 1957. And, you know, 10 years after Roswell and he went to Ohio and they were briefed in on what their mission was really about. They were briefed in on Roswell and then off to Arizona. They went, according okay, to Okay, But obviously this experience flies in the face of what Joseph Farrell says, because he's talking about Nazis and Nazi type invention involvement. It would seem so. OK, it would seem so. OK, just trying to kind of clarify that now. Your father's fine with that. <laughs> okay, that's I'm cool. I'm cool with, with that. Okay, maybe there are a couple of different explanations here. But let's look at your father's experiences in more detail. Okay, so he was discharged the following year. Yes. Okay. Now did honorably discharged, I will add. Right. But he had a later experience. He went back in the service or what? No. This all the stuff I'm telling you happened in his last year of service. Okay, okay, just clarifying the date structure. Okay, now, then, nobody came to him, said, listen, man, you can't tell your family. You don't want anyone else to know about this. It's top secret, whatever. Oh, I'm sure he got the security briefing and signed this, that, or the other, but uh, he didn't start even hinting at it until... You know, about 20 years after he got out of the service. And then by the time he, you know, I got the full details, hell, he'd been out of the service, you know, going on 50 years, 40, you know, 40 years, or, or, you know, over 40 years. So, uh, you know, after a while, after so many years, something that extraordinary, I I imagine. And and you got to remember, he's telling me, his son, who, by the way, since 1988, has had a top secret clearance. Um, beyond top secret. So, um, you know, uh, maybe maybe he felt comfortable, you know, telling me and uh, there you go. That's all I can say about that. I understand. And since you had the fate article published, your employers didn't come to you and say, Walter, 
Why'd you do that? Nope. Okay. Not at all. And, um, you know, two, he wasn't telling me everything. I mean, there were always felt that there was, you know, he was just telling me, you know, what, what he felt comfortable telling, you know, of course there was, uh, you know, more to it. I, I would say, but, but, but it is what it is. You know, it's, it's what he told me. I, I measured his, um, demeanor and, and other, what we call indicators, you know, as he would tell me each time. And, um, you know, he, he certainly, believe what he was telling me actually happened. So. We don't think it was some kind of psyops then. Oh, it's, it's, is that possible? Sure. Why not? Why not? I mean, why, why not? If, if the, if they want to cover up the real story, you know, they could have poured this stuff into his head you know, what using hypnosis maybe or whatever. You know, and, and this was the cover story, and so that when, uh, you know, he would get itchy and start wanting to talk about it, he would give uh, the cover story in, in, instead of the truth. Who knows? I, you know, that's that's possible. I just, uh, I don't know. I have no evidence. And and have never really said I've had any evidence, you know, so. No, I appreciate that. What about the other members of your family? What do they think of all this? Um... It's, it's, it's interesting. My, my mom and my sisters, they're, uh, you know, I have one sister that's kind of, you know, kind of finds it interesting, but she's a little bit skittish on the weird and the strange and extraordinary phenomena. She's a little more traditional in her views on that. And then the other two, my mom and my oldest sister, they're kind of, they just don't say much about it. They don't really, you know, discuss it too deeply. They don't get into it, um, it's not something that, that grabs them. They don't know what to think about it, I think. So. What do they think about you? And. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, they all have, uh, from what I hear, the highest opinion of me. Um, you know, uh, the, the, the things I've done and accomplished, you know, they, they don't, uh, they don't. They don't brush it off. They don't say, oh, that Walter. I mean, yeah, they, you know, they say, oh, that Walter for other reasons. Because, you know, I mean, come on, I'm the youngest kid and the only boy in the family. So I was the little prince. So, you know, I, I've got a confidence level that um, uh, I think uh, it, it fools people sometimes What how high my – people assume sometimes my confidence level isn't as high as it actually is. But, <laughs> but as far as this stuff goes, they, you know, they don't act like or – talk behind my back like you know oh walter's crazy i think they they just don't know what to say because they know that i'm not crazy yeah um here's the thing in the career i had you are constantly as you advance through stages you're given psychological batteries you're you're looked at and tested psychologically many ways that you know about then there's ways that they're doing it that you don't know you're not aware that they're doing it and you know i got every position I applied for to in advanced uh, everywhere I you know was supposed to advance and I was you know put in charge of and given responsibility for some pretty uh, sensitive things and uh, I'll, I'll tell you if there's some problem there on the psychological level you, you're not going to get the posts I got you're not going to get the clearance I have you're not going to you, you're just not going to go the places I went um, if 
you've got those problems. And, and as I've said before, I started having extraordinary experiences, you know, in my teen years. I mean, this was going on before I ever started to work for the FBI. Now, was I doing radio shows and writing articles about it? No, but the point is, if this were some psychological predisposition, you know, some, what I'd call a psychological problem or issue, my point is, whether I was talking about it publicly, it would have come up on these, on these uh, measurements. Okay, I understand that. We'll have to get to that in part two. We have Walter Bosley. Our co-host is Greg Bishop. We'll have more on the other side of the Paracast. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. Welcome back to the Paracast. Greg Bishop is the co-host, Walter Bosley returning. We're exploring in more detail some of the things that he touched on in his first, actually, this is his third appearance on the Powercast. The first, of course, was when we were talking about theories with regard to UFOs from under the surface of the Earth or crypto-terrestrials. Then the second episode with Greg, we talk more about his personal experiences. And now we're exploring more details about what happened to his father. Now, you wrote the article for Fate Magazine about five years ago. Mm-hmm. Now, since then, have you gotten any letters or information from the people who read that article saying, I got more information, I got this, I got that, whatever? No, um, I, I've, I, I've had more, you know, I've had a few emails from people that have, um, have, have said, um, they, they, that their experience, well, the experience they would relate is not really anything that, um, no, that, that would corroborate or, or, or add anything to that experience. It was more, you know, similar in a very vague or, or distant way. But, uh, but to, to answer your question, you know, as straight as possible, no, not really. Uh, okay. So it may have at least put the information out there, but it didn't bring you anything you could investigate or follow up. No, other than um, the stuff that had been out there, you know, throughout history about, you know, uh, other races, lost races, lost civilizations, and, and how they're very often tied to the underground, you know, throughout the, the lore, through history. I think um, the first time I was on your show, I said uh, throughout history there have been these stories and legends, and somebody, one of the naysayers took task to that. History, history, I don't see that recorded in the history of Pliny the Elder, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like I said the lore throughout history. Um, you know, you got to listen to what, what people say sometimes a little closer. Um, Once or twice a day. Yeah, you know. (laughs) But uh, throughout history, there has been lore. There have been accounts of uh, very, you know, similar things. Um, But I haven't heard anything, you know, it's, I I guess Fate Magazine hadn't either because they put the article in their hardcover Best of Roswell, you know, presenting all their different theories and stuff. They, They felt it was, you know, unique enough that they put it in there. And, uh, you know, I haven't heard anything quite exactly like it, other than, you know, there are stories about these battles between Blue Team Delta and, and evil aliens and stuff, but that's, 
that's more in the ET hypothesis uh, basket, but it is technically, you know, subterranean. So I guess some people might associate it. Well, certainly if another race didn't want you to know they were here, they mm -hmm. might pretend or give people the impression they were from out there. This way you don't look in the right place. They misdirect. Sure. Well, look, if you're underground and you don't want to be seen, where are you going to tell people to look? Look up in the sky, right? I mean, it's sleight of hand. You, it's you a bird, a it's a plane, it's E.T. Yeah, you know, if if you're under their feet and you don't want them to be looking too close at you under their feet, then you're going to tell them, look above their head, look in the sky. And, and you know, if that's what they've been doing, boy, it's working. Because, um, and here's what I find interesting, not just on this, but on the, the other issue that got people spun up. You know, I, I've talked about a lot of things. You know, they're, 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 the, the one issue was the one that, that seemed to get the people spun up the most. But um, on, on the, the UFO issue, you know, it really, there's something about the um, subterranean issue or the hidden civilization, the crypto-terrestrial, that, that some people, it just really irks them. It really burns them. And I, I just, I find that interesting. Because a lot of times, not in every case, but a lot of times you talk to these people and you find the other things that they're willing to buy. And I, I just want to, I just want to kind of laugh and go, uh, wait a minute. You buy this, this and this, but you point at this other thing and you say, Oh, that's a bunch of hogwash. Um, it really gets to be silly. Um, when you talk about an audience of any venue that talks about the paranormal or any extraordinary phenomena to any degree, and you got people that, are real, uh, just real uh, uh, agitated and, and, and vehemently opposed to something. But, you know, hey, oh, oh, you know, they buy into Chupacabra, Bigfoot, you know, or whatever. And it, not to put those down, but the point is, folks, we're all kind of swimming in the same pool here. And um, it's kind of like, you know, one nut in the asylum calling another nut crazy. It's like Jack Nicholson talking to the other crazy people and one flew over the cuckoo's nest, maybe. Hey, let me ask you a few other questions about this. All right, so does Walter Bosley believe there is an E.T. out there? Yes. And yes, maybe he's coming here? Of course. I think E.T.'s been uh, coming here uh, all along and will continue to do so. You say, uh, well, Gene said E.T. and then Walter said yes. Do you mean extraterrestrial or just not human? Extraterrestrial. Uh, absolutely, I, I think that. I believe that, that there's, uh, you know, other extraterrestrial races living on literally other planets, and they cross space to, uh, to come here, to go other places. Yes, I do believe that. What is there about the evidence for E.T. that encourages that belief? Well, there, because I'm trying enough. to separate this from the theory of the crypto terrestrials, okay? Okay, there, there's been enough sightings that you know we that can't be explained through conventional means. That um, you know that the, when you get into the details of the sighting, you know it it came it came from outer space. Um, there have been you know enough things, in my opinion, that appear to have been found on the moon, on Mars, and such that indicate um, you know an, an intelligence. Um, you know, ha has been there, if not, you know, isn't still there. Okay, let's pursue that for a second. Okay, things found. Are you talking about the stuff that someone like a Richard Hoagland brings out about possible artifacts on the moon and on Mars? Hoagland's not the only one, but yeah, when you're talking, you know, there's been several people that point to, you know, possible artifacts that, you know, it's kind of, it's not entirely explainable by, you know, 
photographic uh, phenomena. Um, yeah, you know, we like exactly. the face on Mars. Well, not just the face on Mars, the things on the moon and, and the various things. I, I don't want to, yeah, like that, yeah, but I don't want Okay, wanna... well, that's, you know, this is a fascinating subject we haven't touched upon. And yeah. since the door is open, let's step through it mm. and let's look at the anomalies on the moon. And we've had not much coverage of anomalies on the moon here. I mean, we address them in some ways when we talk to the late Mac Tonys. And then in an episode we had with Don Ecker and Bob Kiviat, we touched upon some of the moon anomalies. What do you see that's anomalous in anything that we've presented publicly in terms of photographs or evidence from the moon? You mean, when you say we, you mean official NASA or just anybody? Anybody, but I assume official NASA starts with it since, you know, they sent the probes we were there. I hope we were there. Yeah, well, I... I I think we were there. I, um, we, we went to the moon. I, I think if anything, we're just simply, uh, again, this is my opinion based on, you know, experience or, or, you know, what studies I've done and based on studying the work of others. I am not an expert on this, by the way. I'm just, you know, very much, you know, a, a student of these things. I'm not the expert on this stuff, but, uh, what I've seen and what I've studied and what has been presented um, and, and, and what I know how the government works and what I know how, you know, something, uh, how classified projects work. I do not believe that we were told everything that was found on the moon. I, and that doesn't bother me. That doesn't keep me up late at night. It doesn't piss me off. I mean, come on. Uh, you know, they went up there and, uh, you know, NASA, most people don't realize it, but NASA has very much a national defense aspect to its mission. And, you know, we sent our guys up there, and I wouldn't expect that if they found certain things until they knew how they wanted to handle it or if it served a strategic purpose, you know, I would fully expect that they would keep some things from us. I, I think it would have been very easy for them to keep things from us. I am not one of those who believes the government is so incompetent they can't keep a secret. To me, that's ridiculous. Um, they, they can keep a secret if they want to. Um, and I've argued that point in a lot of places. Um but that's what I think about our Apollo program. Um, I think it's very easy for I, I do think we have, you know, a secret space program secret in that. Uh, yeah, I, I think the Air Force uh, very easily can be sending bodies up into space any old time they want to without the public knowing it. And, um, you know, it would surprise me if we hadn't. Uh, been but publicly, the space program has basically been going to help. And a bread yes. basket. Oh, yeah. We've cut back on the budget. There's a lot yeah. of controversy over the way we're treating future space programs. But uh -huh. that would be the public space program. So you feel there's a private space program maybe with sure. more advanced technology? Or it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, more, you know, way far more advanced, just, you know, going on in ways that it's camouflaged. For instance, you know, the Air Force pops a uh, rocket up off of Vandenberg. And, of course, you know, a lot of people see the rocket go up. They, you know, they, they, they we know when there's a launch. Well, you don't know exactly what the payload is inside there. And I know there's some people that, you know, will point out that, well, there's there's this and that that can pick up the telemetry of when there's a life support system on board something. And, and I think, wait a minute, we have 
have pretty sophisticated systems, you know, for warfare that jam certain radars and jam certain signals and and um, you know confuse signals. Who's to say they don't have something that you know? If you've got a payload, a life support payload inside one of those rockets that they're they're not telling the public there's people in there, and by the way, they're not obligated to. Um, who's to say we don't have the technology that you know? that uh, can camouflage the fact that there's a life support system in there. Uh, or that there was even a launch. Uh, People that are interested should go on the, um, oh, what's it called? Well, there's a list for Vandenberg Air Force Base, and they'll actually email you, a guy that's sort of associated with Vandenberg, will email you a list of when they're having launches and what the payload is, sort of, unless it's um, very secretive. And then he'll just say NSA payload. Um, one of the they, they have one section called weird stuff, and there's actually some very strange reports on there. Uh, speaking of s- secret space programs, a guy wrote into the list and he said he was flying on a commercial airline, um, either to or from Hawaii, coming in towards the Cal- Southern California coast. And he said they saw a plane, or at least a contrail, going across the sky above them, and he said all of a sudden the contrail stopped or disappeared, and, and another trail went straight up from it, like right up into space. So I would, you would assume they're launching something from up in, up, way up in the atmosphere where you can't really, most people wouldn't even really be looking or be able to see it. My experience in the Air Force left me with the position that it's for me. This works for me. You know what? I'm not telling you that it should work for you. I'm not implying that. I'm not insinuating that. I'm telling you my position. My position after my experience in the Air Force is I would feel silly thinking, well, there's no secret space program. Well, we couldn't be sending people up there. To me, for me, that would be a silly assumption on my part. Okay, but that's basically a theory on your part. It's not that you have some kind of guilty knowledge here. Uh, um, Theory based on having spent six years on active duty... In the Air Force OSI, which is very much involved in protection of Air Force materiel and programs, you know, I, I was I was exposed to things. Let's say and leave it at that. Okay, so you can't tell us what you were exposed to because of course not. <laughs> because somebody would knock on your door and you'd face right. some serious problems. Well, okay. and, and before they knock on my door, I I wouldn't feel good about doing it. I mean, you know. um, But you feel you can go so far as to say there is a secret space program. Maybe we're sending astronauts out there. Maybe we have found some further bits of evidence about what's happening on the All the things you said maybe on yes, uh, yes, maybe also. And But the first thing you said was I said I'd feel silly to think that there's not a secret space program. a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and Freudian phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free sent right to your mailbox, plus a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. 
simply send an email with your name and address to Mr. UFO at webtv.net. That's Mr. UFO at webtv.net. Find out what they don't want you to know. This is the Paracast. You never know what's going to happen next. Greg Bishop is the co-host. Walter Bosley is the guest. And now we're talking about, and we've started with Roswell and his remembrances from his father and some of his experiences getting into his opinions about the moon, the Mars, the anomalies. Okay, but since we don't know the details of the secret space program, we assume for the sake of argument, we'll just assume there is one, of course, going on. All right. So what evidence is there that we can see that shows some anomalous stuff on the moon? Yeah, as I said, I'm, I'm not the, the expert on this. Look to Hoagland's material. Look to, um, there's, you know, you, you do a basic search, you know, in your library, on, on the web, in your bookstore. There's any number of uh, books that, you know, you can find where uh, other researchers. Okay, but you basically, Hoagland is pretty controversial and a lot of people don't believe him. Oh, it's all controversial. Sure. I mean, let's let, let's be honest here. Let's be honest with it. We, we we all do these shows. We like to come on here and we say, well, that guy's controversial, but at the same time, we'll embrace this guy over here who's for whatever reason, usually because he's just more popular. Okay, um, so basically, my favorite nut is not your favorite nut. Exactly. But you feel exactly. there's something credible for based on your life experience, whatever. You feel something is credible about Hoagland suggesting there are moon anomalies indicating some intelligence has been there is there and the same yeah. is true for mars yeah w without without agreeing with every little point he makes um yeah i i think basically he's he's on to something and he wasn't the first there have been others hey, hey gene i think you were implying that walter was saying that because of his experience in the military that he thought there were moon anomalies i don't think is that what you're saying, Walter? I think he's, unless you're saying, well, because of your experience in the military, you know it's possible for them to do things that aren't on the radar, as they say. Right. Oh, yeah, that's exactly, yeah, I am saying that. All right. But I'm not, by any stretch of the imagination, assuming that you have guilty knowledge that you're hinting at here. You know what? There are things I was told by people with higher clearances than mine and in more years that I'm not at liberty to uh, share that uh, goes into the mix that goes into the mix on why I think what I think but nothing I can uh, you know there's no file I can pull out or point to that uh, you know that's going to be the smoking gun okay so you can see it as a possibility nothing that you've observed if you look at the photos shows you hey this is pretty weird maybe this is something if I blow it up 400 times it shows some kind of artifact now you just said nothing. When I, well, the, the photos I've seen like, that are available out there for everybody to see, yeah, there are some pretty questionable, you know, what the heck is this? It doesn't look natural. It looks artificial. Yeah, that's my point. And, and that stuff's out there for anybody to go see. Okay. Don Ecker had a, um, that, as you said, Gene, he has a very heavy interest in moon anomalies. And I think he's had uh, one or two researchers on if people want to listen to any of his shows with uh, their compelling evidence in a more specific format. A long time ago, I published a story called The Square Craters on the Moon because I just happened to get in t contact with somebody who was a JPL scientist 
who looked at some pictures from the um, surveyor uh, craft that were mapping the moon for the Apollo missions, and they saw these craters that were square. I mean, they were you know the, the craters were right angles to each other, and there were three or four of them near the North Pole. Uh, Don seems to discount them for uh, reasons that I cannot fathom, but uh, to me they're still very very strange looking. I don't know what they prove, but they they certainly look not natural. Okay, what about Mars, Walter? What's there about Mars other than Hoagland's face on Mars? What else do you see? Well, the holes are are very interesting in that um, years before I had, you know, heard uh, interesting source that uh, there was, you know, subterranean civilization on Mars. And then years later, they reveal these holes to us. That's an interesting to, thing to look into. The the jury's still out on that as it is on other things. But but um, there there have been um, things that uh, again you know other researchers have presented that uh, you got to wonder. Well, what is this? You know, this doesn't look natural. Um, or you know why why is this condition on Mars not what doesn't match what the impression we're normally given is? You know that it's this dry, arid, nothing but red dust place and. Uh, you know, but that stuff's out there. Again, I'm not the expert on this stuff. I just, uh, like other people, you know, I, I look at it and personally, you know, it gives me a particular impression that, you know, there's something to this. Then we also wonder then, why are we cutting back the space program, at least publicly? I think it'd be great politically to say, okay, we're going to go back to the moon. We're going to go to Mars, not in 40 years or 30 years where we're all too old to care. But why are they cutting back? Well, maybe consider this possibility that maybe they're, the, the leaders don't have the burning issue to do this grand, glorious mission because, gosh, they know we're doing it anyway. And there are more pressing matters here at home that, uh, in many people's opinion, that, you know, they figure, well, I better deal with this. Even you know, if E.T. is there, E.T. has been there, E.T. is here, and we have the evidence, this can turn civilization upside down, though. Well, maybe, you know, and maybe there's a good reason that they're not telling us about E.T. Maybe, you know, maybe there's maybe it's part of an agreement. You know, you meet this other civilization and their thing is, hey, uh, here's the deal. We'll interact with you in this way and this to this degree. But no, you don't tell your people about us. And that's the deal. And you either agree to it or we're gone. And whatever it is they offer, you know, that's possible. I'm not a believer that disclosure is right around the corner. You want to ask something that I'm not buying into, that's one of them. I don't see disclosure happening right around the corner. Um, there, there may be a very good reason why you know, those beans aren't spilled if there's beans to spill. Um, that assumes, of course, that they know anything more than we do. That's right. Okay. That's right. And may, maybe they don't. I would say they're in the position to know more than we do when you consider who controls the, the machinery that's up there in the sky and, and who, you know, works, you know, the most advanced stuff. I would say they are more in a position than we are, but, uh, you know, they might not. And the other question, of course, we raise here is, all right, so if there's a space program that's being financed with black projects, there's hidden money, it's the $3 trillion that Donald Rumsfeld couldn't find back in 10 years ago? Mm-hmm. Is that it? Why not? But that seems to be the good explanation there. Black programs, something you don't know about. Trillions of dollars, there you go. To me, that uh, that's a big indicator right there. Well, we're suddenly broke, so it's got to be going somewhere. 
and they're not spending $10,000 for a toilet seat. Isn't that the comment that Judd Hirsch made in the movie Independence Day? <laughs> yes, yeah, something like that, yeah. Okay, so let's go into disclosure a little bit here. We've got all these, I think, very serious people, very sincere people, and then the disclosure wackos out there. Mm. And the disclosure wackos figure, we're in touch with E.T., Obama's going to announce it tomorrow, but wait, he didn't, and this is why he didn't, a new conspiracy. But does Obama or any other president know anything? Yes, I, I'm, I am not one of those who, you know, Hollywood loves the scenario where the, the guys in the ultra-secret military organization or intel organization know the biggest, darkest secrets. And, of course, the president isn't told because he's not there as long as these bureaucrats. And I, in my experience being a, a federal employee, you know, my humble experience, uh, I just – that one I don't buy. Um, I think that's uh, one of the many reasons why – you see presidents not doing certain things, and in some cases they alluded to, if not promised, in their campaigns. And usually, specifically, that uh, that UFO promise that some of them uh, kind of make, and then they shut up and don't talk about it after that. Hmm, let's do a little math here. You got a guy who's running for this high office, and he says, I'm going to tell everybody the truth about Roswell, about UFOs, and we're going to get to the bottom of this and make it public. And then they never seem to do it. You never hear him talk about it again. Gosh, I mean, think about that, folks. What, what does that tell you? Does that not indicate, you know, possibly, I'm just saying possibly, maybe, would that not maybe imply that when they get into office and they're briefed on everything, that one of the things they're briefed on is whatever the truth is about that issue and why it can't be talked about. I, the only president I remember that being done with that actually said that was Jimmy Carter. Yeah, Before Jimmy Carter. Before he was elected. Yeah. And then I heard uh, one of these stories, um, specifically, I think, from Bill Moore, that there was a meeting, some sort of meeting, and he saw the notes from it. Basically, they told, they told Carter what was going on, and he agreed it was more important than keeping that vague campaign promise. Because if somebody brings that up on the campaign trail now, they're laughed out of the room. Um, I don't think it's anything that, to include in your in your platform when you're trying to get elected. Except for um, a certain Ohio congressman who his godmother or something is Shirley MacLaine. So. Oh, yeah. Um, if you want to find out more about it, you should either go to Grant Cameron's presidential UFO site or have Grant on. Have you had him on yet on Paracast? No, we'll have you as the co-host. Hey, neighbors, have you been thinking about starting a website? Well, I'm going to tell you about a great offer from HostGator. HostGator is a world-famous leader in web hosting, and they make it easy for you to get your own .com domain name. You create your very own website with their free site builder tools and great selection of templates. Use the coupon code POWERCAST. Once again, use the coupon code POWERCAST and sign up at this special address, thepowercast.com slash gator. That's G-A-T-O-R, thepowercast.com slash gator. You're in the Paracast. You never know what's going to happen next. By the way, talking with co-host Greg Bishop, our guest is Walter Bosley, and we're certainly going way out there trying to figure out a lot of the things that are going on, also discussing disclosure. Of course, there was that crazy statement that Ronald Reagan once made. Right. Okay. I think he made it more than once, actually. He said, alluded to that like three different times while he was in office about the 
You're, you are talking about the, if there's another civilization, we'd all have to band together kind of thing. He was yeah, talking similar. to Klaatu on the phone at the time. Yeah. Similar to MacArthur's uh, farewell address, you know, um, that gets brought up occasionally that uh, he oh, yeah. said, you know, to the guys at West Point that the adversary in the new fu future, the war would be fighting, would be a war with people from space. And, uh, you know, it's kind of in that vein. And it does. It makes you go, wow, um, gosh, what are we to think of this? But um, whether alluded to or not, it's it's certainly the the public is vocal about, hey, uh, Mr. Uh, new President, you know, why don't you tell us what's going on? And of course, yes, in recent years, Obama's the disclosure president, uh, you know, the guy who was saying that constantly, and uh, it hasn't happened yet, and it's not going to happen, um, I don't think, uh, in that way. Um, I, I think whatever their personal interest is. And I think it would be natural that they might have a passing interest at the very least. I think these presidents are told what it is and why, you know, it's kept secret. And like Carter said, they agree with it. So that, this is my my thought on it at this point in my life. Okay, so is the effort towards disclosure always doomed to be a failure? <sighs> I... You know, on the one, it, that's hard to answer. On the one hand, you know, you'd say, well, no, from, from an awareness level to, to, you know, general public awareness, no, they should keep up the, the request, you know, because that does let the leaders get the, um, uh, uh, test the waters, measure the temperature of the public's acceptance. Okay, the level of the ability to handle this and accept it, if it is true, by the way. But as far as, you know, you're going to get a bunch of people to do a petition and you're going to compel, you know, any president to uh, say, I, yeah, I, I really don't see that happening. I think that I'm one of those who thinks disclosure will come when those being hidden disclose themselves. Uh, when, when the ETs, so to speak, you know, say, well, okay, we, we don't, we don't want to be secret anymore. We don't need to be secret, you know, and there you go. That's what I think. That, that's assuming it's in a way that we can understand as contact with something else. I don't know if we're at that at the point yet where we can meet them on that uh, on the same playing field. What, what do you think, Walter? What, what do you mean by that, though? That same whatever field. they are, or whatever it is, if they're you know, and I'm pretty sure there is some other, you know, a case could be made that they have revealed themselves to us, and we can't really, and we're not really speaking the same language, so we we just don't acknowledge it. Oh, okay, kind of like a dolphin trying to talk to a human kind of thing. It's like we hear a bunch of squeaks, they hear a bunch of grunts, you know. And yeah, in, in a crude way, yes. What, yeah, what, what do you think of that idea? I, well, I, I think, of course, if you know, you look at the possibilities of all the different species, yeah, you, you probably, but, but I, I do want to say that I'm not one of those that makes that other assumption that way too many people, I'd like to say that again here, way too many people make the assumption that just because a civilization can cross the stars that they must be oh so much more advanced than we are to a degree that we just can't understand their technology and b the other fallacy oh they must be peaceful because only a peace loving civilization could achieve such advanced technology when <laughs> most technology a great deal of it advances because of war I, so i i just i almost laugh at that one the assumption that you know they're peace loving and the assumption that they're all so much more advanced than we are i, I think there's civilizations out there that are uh, just maybe a little bit ahead of us 
And well, you could also look at another possibility too, and maybe I'm taking this idea from the Stargate TV series, okay, uh-huh. where there is evidence of an ancient civilization not here anymore, and we use their spaceships, but sure. we know nothing more except how to run them, right? Or make which a few repairs, what, or maybe it's self-repairing. Which which has the Stargate? What you just how you just described Stargate has an actual historical precedent in that. This is what the Germans were messing around with during the World War II era that they had gleaned from ancient Hindu texts, and like the Mahabharata, talking about the Vimanas. It's there, folks. I mean, they, they you know, they, exactly what you described, an ancient civilization that is no longer with us, that had advanced technology, and somebody in our own time is just saying, hey, look at this, let's try this. And, and I'm saying very basically that's what they were doing. There were people before the Nazi regime in the late 1800s and the early 1900s prior to World War II who were doing this stuff. Victor Schauberger was the German who was doing it, but you had Tesla that was messing around with some of this stuff. It started in the mid-1800s with uh, Keeley. Um, again, all controversial. Not being controversial was some type of measure of criteria to, to be discussed. Then guess what? We'd be listening to dead air. Um, so the, the point is there, there is a, uh, a historical precedent, whether you accept it or not, whether you agree with it or believe it or not, it is there. The, the the Stargate theory that you you just brought out that you know some some very old stuff is just being used and we know how to use it you know we we know how to fly it and maybe we're still figuring out the uh, the, the finer points of the technology but we, we've got it working I mean look at it this way in the early jet age we we were fooling around enough with jet engines where we started flying these things around but has jet technology you know not you know advanced in some increments over the years we're using it duh yes it has i mean you know jet a modern jet uh, engine is more advanced than a jet engine more developed in a jet than a jet engine from you know 1950 so why not you know, you take the ancient uh, description of this technology and you mess with it enough to get it working, to get it operable. And then over the years, of course, you understand it better. You, 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 you make it better. You're able to do it better. So, you know, anyway, those are my thoughts on that. Okay, so that's one possible answer. Certainly, also, we could have had civilizations here that became spacefaring and then for whatever reason, they disappeared and they're coming back to visit us now because they came from here. Yeah. Is it, is there not an ancient, uh, I think it's one of the books of the Apocrypha, but uh, Enoch of the Bible, I believe, is uh, the one who built the city that, you know, lifted up into the stars. Some people, some people, not me, have pointed to that story when they're trying to say maybe at one time there was an advanced civilization on the moon. Maybe this legend of Enoch building his city that lifted from the planet into the sky Maybe it was that was some type of technology, a ship or something that went to the moon. You know, I, I'm just saying that's a possibility that others have pointed out. And, and this is just one example of these things when we say the lore um, throughout history talks about things like this. So you look close enough and, and it is there, these things. Um, I, I found most of the people that just write it off, they want to write it off. It doesn't fit their, you know... They're, it's not their pet theory, so they really don't want to hear anything else. And not everybody's that way. There's several. Oh, it also it also may be the ultimate Rorschach blot, where 
um, people are going to put the meaning on that they want to, and especially with UFOs, find the in information and the evidence that supports whatever their preconception is. Right. Um, the other possibility, when Walter was saying about warlike and not warlike and afraid of, ahead of us or behind us, you know, my, my, my favorite quote, which I repeat endlessly, is that um, maybe they're off to the side. Yes. And we just don't, we don't, you know, their, their method of dealing with us and with each other is completely different than what we do with power. And I've got more power than you are. I've got this or that, and you don't have this, and therefore I come out on top. They, they may completely opt out of that in ways that we haven't been able to dis describe or, or think about yet. Possibly. Greg makes a very good point. Yeah. Well, we've talked about this on the show. I'm sorry, I should be interviewing Walter, but I, it's turning into it. Walter and I talking about stuff and throwing ideas around. Yeah, but consider this, too, that, you know, you two have a history of discussing these things, and a lot of the listeners to this show maybe aren't aware of that history, so you kind of have to ask the questions again and maybe go from there. Yeah. Well, that's why I was bringing it up. I mean, I, I yes, I, sh I should be asking Walter questions, but uh, I thought, well, Gene hasn't talked to him nearly as much, so maybe I can clarify or bring something up or say, you know, Walter and I have considered this before, and we've gone down this tributary a little bit, and we've got some good response from it. And if nothing else, you know, it's, it's there out on the table waiting for more uh, evidence, or at least it was just fun talking about it. I mean, that's that's basically what a lot of this paranormal and UFO stuff is. It, you're playing with ideas, because there's no real way you're going to bring something in a lab or make a reproducible phenomenon or whatever. It's just, it's 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 more of a philosophical uh, discussion, I think. You know, you, you, you bring up a good direction that I, I think we should go in the remaining time, and that is that... Um, I'd like to say, speaking for myself, my position on how much I want anyone to believe what I'm saying or my experience has changed. Um, the more I have experienced certain things now, the less important to me it has become that uh, people necessarily, be necessarily believe me. Um, I, I, I can't, because some of the most extraordinary experiences they evade the ability to capture the the evidence that's going to convince you know the people that demand the evidence and i i've come to the conclusion that that's not what matters i i realize that wow you know some of this might indeed be me intended for me personally not that it's any less real but you know i i, I won't argue that it you know i already know what i think about that but it, it it's interesting i realize well if my experience is showing me something that's intended for me, it doesn't matter what other people think of it or whether they believe it or not. It, it you know, I, I'm left with, well, you're missing out, you know, uh, <laughs> you, you're just, you're, you're just missing out. Okay. But that's your choice, you know, oh well. Um, and, and I'm really much more to a, to an oh well point than I ever was. Um, it's, it's really interesting. Really, really why? Because what I'm getting out of it um, is far more valuable than convincing a complete stranger um, that it's real. Um, the insight, the things I'm led to. And I will say this, too. The things I'm led to that I'm able to produce evidence for. That's the most fascinating aspect of this. It gives me insight. It leads me to things that are provable. And Can you give an example? Some of the things 
that I've started writing about. Um, I've come to them initially through some of these insights, and they are things that are down-to-earth facts that I have been able to, that, that as you will see, I'm able to corroborate with, you know, documented, you know, type of evidence. Now, isn't that interesting? Well, it sounds like uh, how a lot of people come up with ideas or inventions. It's specifically Tesla used to say that he would, they would just appear to him, and out of, <laughs> and he didn't know why. And then suddenly, you know, he'd he'd put them down on paper and build them, and they'd work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or you know, or the or the uh, what is it? The um, chemical formula for benzene or something like that was was seen in a dream because a, a guy had uh, who was it? I can't remember the name of the scientist had a dream about snakes swallowing their tails and got him the idea of the um, molecule being uh, uh, connected as in a circular pattern. But but yeah, I, I ex exactly what you're saying. Yeah, but I I, I want to add on there that. A couple of things that um, some people might say that, well, that might be some type of archetypal, you know, symbolism that your subconscious is doing to lead you to the, the, the conscious actual thing. Sure, um, great. I, I, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, something, you know, I'm given an insight through an extraordinary experience and then it points to something that is very down to earth and then I, that I never would have known before that I, that I, that I was overlooking or I just wasn't aware of. Um, it's like opening a book in the middle and, you know, jumping in kind of thing and then going back and forward and, and, and you find what supports what you just read on that page, you know. But uh, the other thing is this that I want to throw out there, and this is, this is what I've learned, and that is I've mentioned in the past maybe a couple of times, and that's this old phrase, um, the admonition of ISIS, and that is when uh, – when, and I'm speaking symbolically here – when she, the truth or whatever, reveals her face to you, her admonition is, tell no one. And I'm beginning um, – for me, I'm I, I think I'm understanding um, why tell no one. The obvious is because everyone will say you're a nut. The other thing is um, – you you've you've come to something through your own work, your own toil, your own investigation. Uh, you're under no obligation to just lay it all out for the next guy who doesn't want to do his own work. And and I, I whereas before I was yeah I'll have all these experiences and I'll tell you all about them and it'll illuminate you and 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 I've come to the point now where it's like oh you really want to know you really want the proof you really want evidence so that you can believe it and accept it. Well, you get out there and you do what I've done or, you know, go on your own path to the extent, you know, the things I or other people that have done and, and you know, see what you get. Because, you know, for me, you know, what's revealed to me for me is, is intended for me and what you'll get out of it is intended for you. And I'm not saying this in a allegorical, well, it's not real, it's all mental. No, 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 I don't believe that. I believe it's real. Um, but, but we all have to go through the separate journey is what you're saying. Yes, exactly. Uh, okay, and, before and we go to the final journey. For 58 years, fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To receive your complimentary Fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730. 
or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Walter Bosley, Greg Bishop. <laughs> Greg's our co-host. Walter's back, and we're taking a journey. Other than the things that you can only understand through your own personal journey, are there bits and pieces of evidence you can convey to us about any of these things? Certainly, we talked about the lunar mysteries. We can look into Hoagland, believe him or not. And, you know, a lot of people disbelieve Don't. and some people do believe. But are there other things where you can say, here's the tidbit of evidence, look it over and you'll see some indication of what's going on. Certainly with UFO cases, we have thousands of cases to go through. So okay. is that okay. part of what you're getting at? Uh, could you put that more succinctly? <laughs> Like, like, what, if you're saying what I'm saying Okay, is, here's, no, here's the point. There are obviously things that we can all look at and reach yeah. decisions about. Right. We could look at theories about anomalies on the moon and Mars. Yeah, and there are several and, out there, not just Hoagland. I understand that, and yeah. those are things we want to explore in further detail sure, on yeah. future episodes. Okay, we could look into the stories of Roswell. Plenty of books out there, plenty yeah. of versions from Nazis... Wow to mogul balloons, to E.T., to crypto-terrestrials, mm -hmm. your father's remembrances, mm -hmm. the civilization beneath the earth, the Deros, the Tiros, yeah, a lot of things we can put out there. Now, obviously, there are other things where you take all this, you have a lifetime of experiences, and then you come to an understanding that maybe you can experience, but you can't tell us. You know, but you can't tell. Someone once said that. Yeah, yeah, well, because there's certain things that, um, that, you know, my position is such that there's certain things that, A, you're not going to be believed. I mean, you know, look, look at how, you know, one or two things I've said, you know, has been reacted to. You know, there, there's just people are just going to say, oh, well, I, I, you know, they, they get all worked up. They're just so first of all, you know, most there's a lot of people out there that just flat out aren't going to believe it. And then, you know, there are those who would be open to it, but they still, you know, need evidence. Well, you, you just can't capture evidence um, and, and you can't explain it sufficiently enough. And I believe that the the phenomena, what's driving these phenomena, these experiences are doing that on purpose because it wants interaction. It wants personal interaction. Basically, in some ways, I have more respect for an atheist than an agnostic. And I'm speaking in very general, basic terms here to make a point. And that is at least the atheist isn't sitting on the damn fence. You know, when I hear somebody say, well, I've been a lifelong agnostic. Oh, well, when are you going to make up your mind? You know, um, you know when, when you're really going to commit to really trying to find that answer for yourself? And, and you can be that way in, in this stuff, too. It's Okay, so being an agnostic is a cop-out. If you're an agnostic, if, if that's because, a cop-out yeah, because you're saying, I'm not going to bother figuring it out. Yeah, if it goes on sure. too long, that it's what it amounts to. It's just a cop-out. And my point is that, that whatever's driving these phenomena, it wants interaction. It wants to show itself and manifest itself to you. 
So quit sitting there reading the books or, you know, just listening to guys like us on podcasts or going in the forums and, you know, pissing on everybody's parade. Um, you know, get out there and, um, you know, make a serious, honest attempt. There's the other problem. Some people claim that they and they're not being honest. They're not making an honest attempt because even if somebody comes back and they don't experience, you know, what you experienced or maybe they don't experience anything at that time, you, you can, your, your gut meter, your intuition will tell you if they've given it an honest try, as opposed to the person that just says, oh, I went out there and did this and nothing happened. Ha, ha, ha. You're, you know, you're an idiot. Well, uh, you know, my experience with the human race is that uh, that person very likely did not give it the honest try because they were predisposed that nothing was going to happen. And, and, you know, I don't really, I don't like to get into discussions with people like that because that's just mental masturbation and people that are just really into logic turns them on. And so basically uh, you're saying, but you're saying also that if you expect nothing's going to happen, it probably won't. There you go. Why should it? Why should it? You know, why it would turn their belief system upside down, wouldn't it, though? But but what I'm saying is, if you're if you're the entity and the person is so, it, think about it. It must be really entertaining to let's say let's say, for the point of my example, the you know let's say you accept the fact that the entity is real, right? Well, you know, it, it, who's to say it's not entertaining to watch some human being so damn smug in their ignorance? So it's like I'm not going to show myself to you. Screw you, because you're not going to appreciate it. You're not going to appreciate what I'm going to show you and give you. You're going to question it. You're going to try to explain it away um, in a way that, you know, it just isn't the truth, but it makes but, you more comfortable. Well, sometimes you have to explain it away because sometimes it deserves to be explained away. Well, okay. Well, give me an example. You said sometimes. That's not every time. and that's No, know. of course not. I'm saying certain events are not real. They're misinterpretations, whatever. So you sure. explain them away. Well, this is conventional. You know, okay, but, this is but, an anomaly or this is a conventional thing. Well, but, it was really the planet Mars. I didn't look at it right, and that's what it is, or Venus. In some whatever. cases, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. you're right. But but uh, a lot of times the people that, you know, very accurately explain something away that was a mistake, therefore, because they do that that one time in that instance, therefore, they apply that then to everything else. There are people out there that do that, and that's that, those are the people I'm talking about that are predisposed. You know, you know, they want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Hey, Walter, before you came on, Gene asked me what my position was on the UFO thing, uh -huh. and what I said was I'm exceedingly agnostic. I still haven't figured it out, and I don't know if I ever will, and I probably and I actually don't really care. So by what by what you said, I'm copping out. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Greg, I still, knowing you personally, I think you care more than you consciously feel right now. Um, and Oh, well, uh, I do care. I, I would care to figure out what was going on, but it's far more importantly, and I think you have the same feeling, the things I learn along the way in trying to figure out whether there's something real there or not or what the explanation is, is far more valuable to me personally than what that explanation might be or the answer is. Yeah, but this way, Greg, this way, Greg, you're saying at least you're making the effort. Yeah, you, know, you might be agnostic about the result, but you're making an effort to find out. It's not the same thing as saying, I don't know what it is. I don't care. I'm not going to explore you know, any further. There, there's always an exception and there's always a qualifier to say. Oh, I, I see what you mean. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, you the type of agnostic you are, the type of, uh, you know, agnostic certain other people we know might be, you know, um, but they're trying, you know, and I would venture to say push comes to shove. I think you probably think that there's ETs out there on other worlds, you know. Oh, I, I I'm almost there's... certain of it. Now, whether they've come here or not is another deal. Yeah, yeah. okay, well. And how they've done it, physically, um uh, some other way, paraphysically, mentally. Yeah, that's a whole other fascinating discussion in itself. So, you know, th there's there's so many facets to this subject that it's, you know, trying to pin somebody down on something is is, is terrible. I mean, you look at the UFO shows. They, it, I've been asked to be on like five of them. They've come out and interviewed me for about three of them. And in every single instance, and I know Gene knows about this and Walter does too, they want you to say something that absolutely is a true statement with no equivocation. Otherwise, right. you're not you're not useful for their program because people yeah. don't want to hear that. Exactly. People have gotten to the point where they've got to have an answer. And they and, and the thing is, they're looking for other people for all these essential answers when they, when they go out there yourself. I've always said, regardless of the stories I've shared, regardless of my positions that I've shared and the comments I've made, have I not, Greg, since I've been doing, you know, I started with your show. I've always told people, get out there and look yourself. Get out there and investigate yourself. Find your own answer. Yeah, you are going to find your own answer. You're going to find an answer. You are going to find something. And that's why I urge people to do it. Let me rephrase it. You know, it, it's, you've got a far, far greater possibility of finding a true, real answer by going out there yourself than you ever are going to get reading other people's books, listening to what other people have to say on podcasts and radio shows. But also depends on your filter and the way that you investigate sure. things. And if you even sure. care or have enough time to do such a thing. Sure. But like I say, you know, if you hate soccer so much, stop going to soccer games. <laughs> I say to some people, you know, it just if, if you've reached the point to where you, you just everything sounds like hogwash and everything, you know, at some point, you know, well, maybe you want to, you know, listen to podcasts about, you know, Hemi cars or something for a while because, you know, you're, you're just not going to get that smoke and gun that you're demanding on any of these shows. It's not likely. And I know some people don't want to hear that, you know, because that's what they're looking for. But that's this, that's what goes back to what I said before is we live in a society where, you know, we want the expert. We want some other guy who's in a position to tell us how it is so that we can, you know, not do the work ourselves and just go on with our, our daily lives. And, uh, you know, let the, the other guy will do all the research and tell us how it is. And there we go. It's easier. Um, kind of like fast food. Somebody else prepares it, throws it in the bag. All we got to do is eat it, is ingest it. And that's what certainly the field of UFOs and extraordinary phenomenon, um, that's the experience of way too many people with it. Um, and the other part of it is, you know, it's, it's scary to some folks, you know, uh, for various reasons. It's just, you know, it's scary to them. So it's, you know, they live vicariously through people. But I, I say, if you want the answers, get out there and look for them yourself. Go out there and test your own theories. Well, that's one way to find out. I think part of the problem, as we've said in the past, is some people will go to a convention or watch a TV show or listen to a program. They hope that you're the expert on UFOs. You tell me what they are. You give me the Reader's Digest version. We don't want to sit here and read a 400-page book 
We don't want to listen to two hours of radio where you basically say there are lots of theories and these are the possibilities and we don't know the final answer. They want you to have the final answer. Well, then, if that's what they're looking for and they want to take final answers from somebody else's work, then uh, in all honesty, they shouldn't be some of them shouldn't be so critical of those who are out there doing and experiencing. You should say, well, you know, I don't go out there and do the stuff myself. So, you know, OK, this is what I think. But, yeah, it, it's it's I don't know. To me, it's people have to start being more honest with themselves, um, you know, particularly where these things are concerned. You know, either uh, either you're going to accept what other people say or you're not. And if you're not then get out there to find something to base your own opinion on. And, you know, if you've gone out there and you've given it an honest try and you really come back and say, I experienced none of this, then, uh, you know, I got a lot more respect for that guy than the guy who's just the nerd, you know, sitting in the forum room who won't identify himself and, you know, reads this book, reads that book, um, hates this guy, loves that guy, just and it's mostly based on personality. Uh, which just cracks me up to no end, you know, or, or prejudice or whatever. Um, I don't have any respect for that guy who has this smug opinion of what's what and what's real. <laughs> what the hell has he or she done to get out there and base that smug opinion on? But the guy who, you know, guy or gal who gives it the honest um, try, you know, for, you know, a period of time, you know, or enough times, that, and they still come to the conclusion that it's all hogwash, I, I got more respect for that. Then um, and and that has to be I have to consider that in my experience. Then it becomes an issue of, gosh, why did I have this experience and this guy didn't? Well, that's interesting. You know, it's not going to make me think mine is any less real, by the way. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I some people are scared to not feel like they've got a handle on things. And so it is much more comfortable to just go ahead and grab a handle than to make one or, or find the, you know, the best one, they grab the nearest handle uh, because they need that. They need that comfort. It's why some people love living in cities, you know, and, and others, you know, live out in the middle of nowhere. The, you know, some people who live in cities go there cause they just got to be around the other people and, you know, feel that part of that community. They got to be, whether it's acceptance or whatever, whereas, you know, the guy who lives out in the middle of nowhere doesn't need that so much. You know, it's, uh, it all comes down to what I'm saying. It comes down to the individual. Ultimately, it comes down to the individual. Walter Bosley, where do we find more of the things that you've done or plan to do? Um, as I said, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I wrote the book on uh, the Disneyland and uh, Latitude 33, and um, I, uh, if people want to check or, or I, I guess I should probably provide them with an email because the, the place it's sold is at another guy's website. And I know I don't like to insult a host or make them hinky by saying another guy's website, <laughs> but uh, that's where the book is for sale. Do you want me to say it or would you prefer? I get no, 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 that's cool. You know, it's okay. okay. My, uh, we know there uh, are other radio shows out there. We okay. kind my, of my, are reluctant to admit that, but just tell them <laughs> where to find it. My book, um, Latitude 33, Key to the Kingdom, is in a PDF version you can download for sale at kevinsmithshow.com. You can find it there on his page. You scroll down there and you can get it there. And um, also, I'm uh, going to be I'm, – I'm in the middle of that final editorial phase on the book I've written with uh, Richard Spence, the author of Secret Agent 666, uh, tentatively titled Empire of the Wheel right now. Um, that should be 
probably coming out not for a while yet, not till later this year or early next year. And that is a book um, about what appears to be serial murder and with an occult connection, possibly. Um, and uh, real, real interesting stuff. Um, I'm also the writer of a show that's opening in Las Vegas on October 3rd at the Las Vegas Hilton called Triumph. I have my media life where I write movies and shows and things like that. And my novel, Secret of the Amazon Queen, is in development um, with an independent company in Hollywood. So between the, uh, the movie stuff and the strange phenomena, there's, you know, take your pick. Greg Bishop, where do we find more of the stuff you do? Um, mainly on Radio Mysterioso right now. I haven't written for UFOMystic.com in a while. RadioMysterioso.com. Uh, look up all the interviews I've done. And a lot of my writing is on, um, is also on, uh, the site for my old magazine, ExcludedMiddle.com. That's one word. From the Excluded Middle and from who knows where. We have Greg Bishop and our co-host this week, and of course, we'd like to thank Walter Bosley for putting up with another two hours of abuse. Thanks for joining us on the Paracast. <laughs> thank you, Gene. It was fun. The Paracast is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in the Paracast.